starting to become like a laughing stock now because they're firing managers left, right and centre and that was never a Bayern thing to do. No, not very Bayern Munich, but they... Because they win everything so it's almost hard to fire managers but it's not look good enough, has it, for Bayern? No. But if you are in a world where you're competing against a city that's blowing as hot as they are, um, you are playing against... a um, Real Madrid that has been doing as well as they are, surely, and you are playing in a league that's not necessarily where you've got competition. So surely your your ailments at some point are going to show, and mm. they tend to show in the Champions League. Yeah, how many league? How many league titles have they won in the past ten years? Sure, I think almost all of them. Eh? No, didn't they win eleven in a row or something ridiculous? Yeah, something like that. Because the only crazy. time they did not was win Dortmund. was when Dortmund when um, Klopp was, was still there. Mm. Yeah, I think it's like 11 years now, something stupid. So then they probably won Champions League. Of course they do. Like, that's mm. the ultimate mm. price of your. I think football. also the fear of now giving up their dominance in the league. Do you know what I'm saying? They're clearly not dominant. Because they got lucky. Yeah. Yeah, that was luck. I mean, it's literally Dortmund threw the league away. Yeah. All yeah. they needed to do was win. Yeah, they were very close. I mean, that was like, yeah. Is that Botley? Shall yeah. we start? <laughs> anyway, let's start the show. We're back again. This is Onside, uh, your favorite football podcast, this side of the equator. And obviously, I don't roll solo. I'm joined by Marco again. And thank today, you, we decided you. to do the whole football jersey thing because football jerseys are now slowly trickling out. Um, I've seen the City one. I saw the Arsenal new one. Yeah. Um, which other one have I seen? I haven't seen anything. Well, Arsenal's new one is gold. And uh, In preparation I'm, I'm, for... I'm wondering when they designed <laughs> that the gold bits for that Arsenal jersey. Hmm, maybe. <laughs> In anticipation <laughs> that... <laughs> and now they've come out with a... Do- it's not, that's not why it's gold. It's gold to celebrate 20 years since... Wada, 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 wada. But it's a beautiful jersey, actually. It's, uh, it's very nice. Yeah, too. I must actually make a plan to... Get myself one. Anyway, welcome to the show. Let's get into it. Um, Netbank Cup, we're actually talking about it. Yeah. Um, I was wrong. The match was sold out. <laughs> Another prediction that I got wrong. So if you want a good bet slip, don't ask me anything. Or just ask me and then go the other way. Yeah, that, that's, that's the way. That's, that way will work. Basically. Yeah. So, gents, Netbank Cup, Marco, we were talking about the game, ne? Um... And there's a contentious issue in that game. 
it's the penalty that I was awarded. That was awarded to Orlando Pirates. Yes. You saw the goal or the penalty. Rather. Yes. Penalty or no penalty? Unfortunately, on review, because on first view, it was immediate thought, no penalty. Because of the intent from the attacker to try and win a penalty in this situation where the player is clearly no longer part of play or they say a non-active player. Player on the floor, injured, becomes non-active. However, upon review and the replays, you see the player makes himself active whilst on the floor by reaching out for the ball. So, poor decision from the defender's side. The officials perhaps got a lot of flack for the decision because it is a contentious one. However, the officials got the decision completely right. If you look at the book, the player makes himself active in reaching out for the ball. Completely makes himself active, reaches out for the ball, makes contact, penalty decision. Let his team down, I'd say, by a moment of idiocy. It's something that we see regularly in football matches. Is a mm. player who goes down, reaches out for a ball to stop play. However, to do that in your own penalty area, in a cup final, where you're giving the the officiators an opportunity to make their own decision about what's going on is poor decision-making from the player's part. But I get why fans are upset and why it's contentious because upon first viewing, you think immediate, no penalty. You can see the intent from the attacking player to now and play the ball towards a player extremely slowly. No verve, no vigor, not trying to get away from the injured player, playing the ball towards the player in an attempt to win a penalty and the player buys buys into it takes the bait takes the hook reaches out makes himself active penalty yeah um oh i forgot to introduce super sub hi super sub <laughs> welcome to the show i think maybe almost i'm not for- part of the show oh, today oh, almost <laughs> forgot about you sorry um in in when you saw the incident the first time around did you think it was a penalty or did you have to wait to see the replay no i had to wait to see the review like marco said i think Lodge in that instant, he was very clever, like any other attacker would do, you know. And I think upon review, that's when you see like, oh, actually, the ref got it according to the book, you know. But also, what was the ref supposed to do when in that situation? When you reach for the ball, you are infield player. You reach for the ball, you are in your box. Can only be a penalty. In that regard, so we're talking about you had to see the replay to make judgment on whether it's a penalty or not. The ref had that moment and he didn't have a replay. Yeah. So what is it that he saw that we didn't see, that we had to watch again? It's the hand because he was in front Mm. of the action. He saw the hand and any ref would have blown for a penalty. You have to imagine that the official or one of his assistants saw the movement from the player to reach out for the ball. I think that's the only way you ever give that as a penalty. So the officials, we can't know what's going on in their heads. Yeah. But we have to imagine that the officials saw that movement, saw the player making himself active and uh, gave the decision. And also the lineman did raise his flag. So the did lineman you, saw the same thing as the ref. Was it at the point of, I just need to remember this properly, was it at the point where the, the player who did the infringement with the hand was it at the point when he was down? Was the linesman flagging the fact that there's a player down in the box or was he flagging the touching of the ball? He was flagging the touching of the ball from do my you, understanding. 
I mean, the officials communicate with one another. It's modern football. Yeah. So uh, there's no way of knowing who communicated the decision first. But I think at the end of the day, football fans, we can talk ourselves in circles about this all yeah. the way along. Uh, but the decision was to the rules of the book. Correct. Is a court of law ethical or is a court of law legal? And officiating in a football match is the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to give according to the law. We can feel bad for the victim of a decision. Yeah. We but can feel bad in accordance with our laws, in accordance with our regulations. This is the rule. This is the law. Is it ethical? Is it fair? The law is not always fair. And boy, oh boy, football's not always fair either. Oh, no, of course, of course. But anyway, congratulations to Orlando Pirates lifting the NetBank Cup. Whoop, whoop. Once again, uh, to go with the MTN 8 that they won mm. and a second place finish in the league. So that means they're going to be playing CAF Champions League next season. And some of the players got... Um, they've got de- they, they were nominated and they received some decent awards at the, at the PSL Awards. Of which are also very contentious. Yeah, look, I mean, man, I don't know, hey. How do you have uh, players, player of the season, which is voted by players, and they vote for a certain player, and then player of the season, it's voted by all coaches, and they vote for a different player. So we've been seeing a different game. Or the coach have a different lens to the game than players. I think it's the latter. I think we also see a differentiation with, uh, we see it all the time with players, journalists, and fans yeah. as well. When you've got fan awards mm. versus uh, player awards versus coach awards and journalist awards. Mm. And do we invalidate any one of their views? I think that we immediately think let's invalidate the fans because they don't know football. They yeah. just vote for who's popular, who's yeah. their friend, or whatever, whatever. But in saying that, why should we invalidate fans' opinion on who should win an award? And I think awards, just give them multiple awards. More different players who get awards, better news. And celebrate people for performing well in the season. So but for you, what is, where is your point of contention? Is it with the player of the season or the player's player of the season or the coach of the season? Okay, in a, in a PSL, in a DSTV, is it? Yeah, it's for both. Ne? It's DSTV, Premier League. No, no, no. So there's the PSL is the motherboard. Yes. And then and in then the PSL, you've got DSTV, NetBank Cup, DSTV, and Motepe Foundation, and, and, and MTN8. Okay. So player of the season, is, it's, it's, a, it's judged based on a player that had a good season on all three competitions, which, which is the league. Not entirely. Oh, is that so? Yes. So um, I, 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 I was fortunate enough to be to chat with... Uh, one of the journals who was involved in one of the in voting for one of the awards. Yeah. So the player of the season. Yeah. Is looked at for the thirty DSTV Premiership games that were played. That is why each cup has its own player of the MTN eight, most promising player of the NetBank Cup. So they don't take those cups into consideration. They only consider the league. The league. Yes. Okay. Then if then if that is the case, and I mean, if that is a fact and it can be verified out there, then I think, well, maybe Tebu uh, Homogona deserves it because Mamelo Sandan won the league. However, I just feel like Monapule Saleng had a good season, you know. Um, in cups, mostly. In cups, mostly. No, he had 11 goals in the league. 
11 goals in the league, more than, I think, 10 men of the match performances compared to his counterpart in Mukwena, who has, I think, two or three men of the match uh, performance and, but the and a goal and, and just a goal or two. You know what I'm saying? And, you, you know, if you statistically, Munapule Saleng had a better season than Tebukho Mukwena. Maybe Tebukho Mukwena influenced the game in other ways. Yes. So know? I was going to go to the influential part. And again, let's throw it. If you are going to pick a player of the season, because there was also a comment that was made by Gavin Hunt mm. that a goalkeeper should never be player of the season. Manchester United can tell you that <laughs> first hand. We had a goalkeeper be player of the season far too often in recent years. So. What, what, what constitutes, what elements should we be looking at to say, okay, cool, onside is going to have onside football awards. We're going to choose player of the season. What are we going to be looking at? Um, first of all, who wants an award that can be voted for? We want trophies, baby. Yeah. We want trophies. <laughs> we want league titles. Sure. We want cups. <laughs> we want, uh, but if you're twisting my arm and telling me that we need to uh, choose attributes, is first of all, influence upon the team and what that team has managed to achieve based on the expectation originally set out on that team. So a team that has overperformed. Sundowns play beautiful football. Have they overperformed by winning a league title? Less so than I think Orlando Pirates have overperformed in terms of the growth of the team. And yeah. we, this is something we discussed mm. last week as well. The growth yeah. of the team has been exceptional. So if you have an individual player who uh, people see across the board as being mostly influential to that game of that team, then that should be your biggest determining factor for your first set of points. Yeah. Then you need to look at statistics, I think. I think stats are underrated in, in football. I mean, the, one, the stat we worry about is goals. Assists. Assists next, then clean sheets maybe, whatever. But if you think of things like number passes of passes. Com- passes completed. And number of key passes. Mm-hmm. This is a statistic that we see more and more of coming up on like stats boards. Yeah. Because it's... It's something I used to criticize Jorginho for in the, in the Chelsea team. Had great passing stats. I said, how many go forward? It's, mm. I can have great passing stats at six aside on a Wednesday where I defend like Orlando Pirates did in the Nedbank Cup for that. Hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I can have 400 passes in, across a month. Can I have 400 passes backwards, sideways? What, it, what does that mean? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So mm. things like key passes where you, like a Kevin De Bruyne, probably breaks all the stats for key passes like you can't mm. believe because of the number of chances created. And uh, I think those sort of stats need to be taken into consideration. And ground covered, eh? I've seen like ground covered, especially for the CMs. The ground covered also means a lot, you know? But then this, so this almost then isolates certain positions on a football pitch because a goalkeeper can never have 500 yeah. key passes in no. a season. Except if you read Dumelian Kuna from time to time. <laughs> um, a defender will not cover as much or will not give you as many key passes as a midfielder. I mean, yeah, a midfielder slash uh, a forward player. So that means going forward. And the way world football is now, if yeah. you look at it, going back 20, 2006, I think that's the last time a non-attacking player won a Ballon d'Or slash 
FIFA Player of the Year. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Luka Modric is probably the last one that comes to mind of like a less attacking mm. player than than others. Because, but he's still an attack-minded player. It's in been, anyways. What, it's been Ronaldo, Messi, Ronaldo, Messi, Ronaldo, Messi. There was a there was a time uh, Ricardo Kaká won it. Yeah, uh, Ronaldinho, I think at some point. Yes. Mm. Um, so the last Owen. defender. The last defender, pretty much, I think, was Fabio Cannavaro. Yes. Yeah. That was the last defender to win a Ballon d'Or. But who cares? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. And also, isn't it why there are other categories like goalkeeper of the season, defender of the season, midfield? There's no midfield of the season, eh? I haven't heard. No, there's no midfield of the season. And then after that, you, you look at the overall player that really, really dominated the game, you know? Yeah. I think. What position is most critical then on a football pitch? I think every position is critical. I think. It's sounding like a coach here. (laughs) (laughs) Why why is a number nine the most expensive player on the pitch? I was coming to that. By far the most expensive player on the pitch because he's got the hardest job. Let's be honest. To score goals. To score goals. Even if it's tapins. MacGyver's going to come argue with me on this. (laughs) (laughs) But... Honestly, it is. It's it's the the hardest job to do in a natural way. Uh, you have born goal scorers. It's, yeah. It seems to be something that's the hardest thing to be taught on a football pitch. The easiest thing to teach is good defending. Do the basics and yeah. you're a good defender. It's the easiest thing to teach. I'm not saying that it's an easy thing to do well, but it's the easiest thing to teach. And that's why a top-class striker fetches the sort of money that they do in his season. I think the hardest part of playing football is putting the ball in the net it's the hardest part i look at like a, a kevin de bruyne who can put a beautiful pass with the outside of the boot and put it on a platter for you yeah and you look at that goal in isolation and you can say look the hard part of the goal was the ball that was the beautiful part of the goal i think if if anyone bothered to watch man united versus fulham <laughs> who cares right it meant nothing but um casimiro putting in and outside of the boot. Uh, this was the week before, sorry. Yeah. The outside of the boot, no look pass to bring in Jaden Sancho in on goal. Beautiful ball. No doubt that that was the hardest part of the game at that point. But over a consistent period of time, over the long course of a season, the hardest thing to do is score goals. And that's why number nines and attackers fetch the most money because they're born with this natural just smell the sense for where this ball is going to land and just pop it in the net. And that's why the very best goal scorers are goal poachers anyway. You know, Haaland, we were talking about this yeah. as a goal poacher. Ruud van Nistelrooy, who MacGyver ignored to talk about as uh, as overrated strikers. Yeah. But you, you, there's just the sense of knowing where that ball is going to be. And that's something you can't teach. And that's what makes those players most valuable. And that's what makes it the hardest job on the pitch. So based on what Mark was saying, eh? we clearly have a problem with producing or giving birth to to strikers in this country because that's the one thing we struggle with. Yeah, you can say that because, I mean, the last last number nine that we had that was really, really good, I think it's Benny McCarthy, if you think about it. In terms of world class? In terms of world class, yes. Sean Bartlett? Sean Butler as well, but I don't think Sean Butler reached the highs that McCarthy reached, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I would I would call him a world-class striker, Sean Butler. He is, definitely, no doubt. 
And then, I mean, who's the last like real on the map South African player? What, Stephen Pina? The real last like on the map that household name sort of. Yeah, it was Stephen. For the whole yeah. world. Stephen I think Pina. it was. If, if we, look, if we if if we go on the basis that Pessy went to Brighton, but it was for half a season, so he didn't really put his mark at Brighton. Yeah, I um, did not. But I think he is doing that now with Al Akhli. And you we cannot downplay the fact that Al Akhli is a powerhouse as well in world of football, you know? No, for sure, for sure. Um, so we can throw him in there, Pesitao. Uh Lyle Foster, it's he he's it's only been six months. It's too soon to actually say his test is coming. You know? Yeah, yeah. This, be this coming in season when he plays for for, for Premier League. League. Yeah. Premier League, yeah. Because it's not going to be easy going to Luton Town on a Tuesday night. <laughs> it's not going to be easy. Yeah, no. But, like, I suppose he has proved himself no, no, definitely. to this point. So going back to the whole notion then, you can't... In, in, in what you're saying, Marco, you're basically saying you cannot produce a striker. They're either born with that instinct because teaching them is probably the most toughest thing to do. Yeah, so I think that you can teach attacking, but this the hardest thing to teach is scoring goals. So the, by far the hardest thing to teach because there's something like I say that that strikers and attacking players are born with, and it's one of those things that's like extremely difficult to teach. But and this is why I look at the Brazil side that won a World Cup under Luis Felipe Scolari. Yeah, and you say to yourself, he could have picked the squad by throwing darts at a board. You know, that the squad was so good. And he had R9 Ronaldo in that team, mm. who is the pinnacle of a number nine at, attacker that you could ever have in world football. And he won that tournament just by being that good. And did Scolari come in as a real top-notch coach and make that team? Yes, he did. He actually did. I, I don't give him enough credit for that because that team was phenomenally good. But if you drill your defenders... If you drill the back parts of the team and just leave the attackers be, you win everything. Yeah. If it's you leave good attackers be. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about um, you can teach somebody to be a defender, you know, obviously it's not easy, you know. Mm. It just reminded me of Patrick Meyer. You remember Patrick Meyer, Len? Yes, I do. Uh, Patrick Meyer played for Keza Cheese. He started as a striker. He was good at scoring goals. And then when he left Keza Chiefs, he was playing as a defender. You remember that? Mm. So that is just interesting what you're saying. I'm just alluding to what you were saying, that you goal scoring is it's natural, but you can teach somebody to be a defender, and they can be good at that. And I think it's why we see the trend in international football where wingers at youth level become fullbacks. Yeah. Is that... I'll teach you how to defend, yeah. but you've got that natural ability going forward that gives us that extra dynamic when we need it because modern football is about wingbacks traveling, overlapping runs with the winger and able to put in a quality pass, able to have a bit of skill, able to get by a player, normally with a lot of pace, things like that. I'll teach you the defensive parts, but what we need to do is we take from the youth the players with skill and ability and attacking, natural attacking ability. We teach you how to defend, you become a fullback. You know, so I think that's, for me, that shows you that a nine, a number nine, and I'm not talking a seven or an 11, even yeah. a number 10 or an eight. Yeah. I think a number nine is still going to be the most valuable thing in the world to, and to they, a side. And, and, they and are. we have Trent. <laughs> yeah, who Trent can Alexander. play anyway. 
and he can't defend to save his life. The, def- the the interesting thing with the with the number nine conversation is, there was a point whereby world football was I want to use the word littered with number nines. Some were not as good as others, but in modern day, if you had to buy a number nine, a prolific one, it would be very difficult to find one. I think it's always been difficult. It's always been difficult. I remember watching football in the 90s and having coaches complain that how difficult it is to buy a nine and how expensive they were. You look at Alan Shearer in the 90s mm. and how much money it costs to get an Alan Shearer because when you find a prolific striker, the value is through the roof and it's always been like that. I think things have actually even out in the opposite way now is that prolific strikers are seemingly fetching more mediocre money than what was in like the 90s mm. where a top-class midfielder costs you 100 million pounds. Now you look at a Declan Rice and you look at the fees that West Ham are looking to command for a Declan Rice and you think to yourself, that's more than any top-class number nine yeah. in the world football right now, you know? And, uh, you know, okay, Harry Kane's quite a bit older than Declan Rice, but the, their value seems to be quite a bit different in terms of the figures that people are talking at the moment. Mm. And it's like, is Harry Kane not more valuable to a team than Declan Rice? Well, long-term investment... Obviously not. Yeah, we but can. Harry Kane, right now, you get him now in this window, and boy, oh boy, have you got something on your hands. Wee. Unless you're Real Madrid or Manchester City, who he'll still be second choice behind a Benzema or Haaland, I think. And and speaking of of of, we saw my will so jump to European football uh, while we are at that. <laughs> um, we 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 did ask a couple of weeks ago: Should Harry stay at Spurs, or should he go? If you are Harry Kane right now, what would be the most ideal thing to do? I think it would be to live. I think we mentioned it before that he he achieved everything that he could possibly could. You know, played Champions League final that didn't materialize in their team winning. You know, what more can he do with Tottenham? You know, I think from now on Tottenham it's going to be on the building phase, and you want to be building at the age of thirty. You know, I think do I think he has to move United. Yeah. Real Madrid. Um, Where are the interests? I think United apparently they're interested. I, I, but some United fans don't seem to be for the idea from what I'm seeing on social media. Yeah, look, I mean, if if the hierarchy of these football, football teams were to go along with uh, fans, <laughs> a lot of decisions wouldn't have been made, you know. But I think if he goes in... I mean, United are short of goals. Like MacGyver said the other day, I mean, if you look at their goal difference compared to the, their counterparts in the top four, I mean, I think they've got the lowest goal difference. You know what I mean? So they need a goal poacher, you know. And I think Harry is that. I mean, if he can score those 30-plus goal, goals in Tottenham team, imagine what he can do with Bruno Fernandes, Bruno Fernandes feeding him at Man United. Interesting, because, well, you would look like you would look at a team like Chelsea, for instance. Would not that would that not be an option? He's gonna be working with Pochettino, but haven't they already got an Konko Frankfurt striker? Was it Christopher is it, Nkonko? Is the deal sold? It's sealed. I think it's sealed. It's done. Sure. I think it was already done in January. Christopher Nkonko. Oh, yes, and then he was going to be part of the Chelsea he team was, this season. Yes, so he was signed in January and then given back to the club on loan. Mm. Yeah. Please don't butcher me for butchering his name. I apologize. <laughs> well, Chelsea, Chelsea have problems. We'll get yeah. to those. Their problems are very deep. Yeah, They're extremely deep, but we'll get to those. So, cool. Um, not Declan Rice, we've already mentioned. Uh, we've heard that they 
there's a couple of teams that are looking for him. Hey, but that prize, eh? Yeah. Big money for a player who's got one year left on a contract and is available for free next season. Sure. What do you do? Do you wait for that one season? No, unfortunately, you can't because there's too much interest in him. So if you're able to get him now, you'd rather spend the money to avoid losing him to a Manchester United or Real Madrid or Manchester City or anyone on the long list of clubs looking at Declan Rice but, when, when he's available for free. Come on. But modern day transfer fees are just insane. Insane. No, no, it's crazy. Yes, it's, it's crazy. Are they ruining football? Do you think? I think that uh, financial fair play was brought in for a reason because it was ruining football, wasn't it? Where you look at wages, you look at transfer fees, you look at all of these things. It's It's been ruining football for some years now. Unfortunately, financial fair play was brought in in a stage where they say you have to spend the money that you earn. So it's made it financial unfair play because now just Real Madrid, Barcelona and Manchester United are the three mm. teams who can spend money and no one else can because no one can make the money those three clubs can make. So financial fair play is very unfair. But something had to be done about overspending where people are of extreme wealth are coming in and buying football clubs like they toys, like they little prizes, you know, that they can show off to their friends. Look at my fancy car. Look at my fancy football club. Let's put in a bunch of money. Cause but then in, 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 in that regard, would it and where would financial fair play come in? In, in a sense that I'm Manchester City and... I get a, a title sponsor, Etihad, and then I decide that, okay, cool, the sponsorship deal is going to be 500 mil mm. because I own Etihad. Yeah, I can give 500 mil. I'm just going to stop me. Mil. Is, how do you then financial fair play there? I don't know. Yeah, no, I also don't know because, I mean, that, that, that is interesting. And also, why would, would they give more than what they're making with Etihad Airways, like for instance. But like yeah. Marco was saying, because it, yeah. it's my toy. Because yeah. that's how that's how the that's So how I don't know how the the vetting how far the vetting goes. Because if every sponsorship come it's coming in, I'm sure the Premier League will do the vetting, you know, who's coming in, mm. what company, what they do, what are the financials. If they look at their financials, obviously if they make we just like here yeah, we're just speculating that they say they make a billion you can't go give a billion if you're making a billion, you know. Mm. You know no, what I'm saying? No, no, granted. Like, look, I think in terms of uh, the vetting of sponsorship, obviously Arsenal is not going to go there and be like, okay, we are sponsored by Colombian drug cartels kind of thing. Um, but Coca-Cola saying we want to sponsor Man United, the Premier League can't go look at the books of Coca-Cola of Coca-Cola to say, okay, cool, it's mm. fine. I wonder if there's a cap. I, I don't think there's a cap. Uh, but I, th- I think it would be an interesting discussion is that I know that they do look at connected sponsorships with the owners of football clubs. So, for example, they say, is this company that's looking to sponsor a football team uh, connected to the owner of the club? And then they review the efficacy of it mm. with a panel, with an independent panel that goes mm. through a variety of subjects in evaluating mm. the thing. So if there's no connection between an owner and a sponsor, like you say, a Coca-Cola comes in. Now, Coca-Cola have no owners involved yeah. in, with, that are connected with the company that are now connected with the league. Mm. Then Coca-Cola won't need to be reviewed for their interests in sponsoring as long as they go by all of the sponsorship policy and they meet all of those requirements and regulations, they're welcome to sponsor at whatever fee they determine. Mm. But when I think that there is, when there's a connection with a sponsor and an owner of a football club, an investigation is done. 
So and I'd, I'm not sure what the criteria would be. Yeah, no, that's like yeah, as yeah, I wonder actually, eh? Because you look at like an Etihad, for instance, right? You one would assume it's a it's a Arab owned. Yeah, but doesn't belong. It doesn't belong to Manchester City owners, does it? It's just UAE. It just it's from UAE, right? I don't know who the owners are. <laughs> there could be a connection there. Well, we're going to hear a lot about Manchester City and financial fair play in the coming months because the the independent panel that's busy reviewing their case and mm. reviewing a hundred and something charges brought against City by the mm. league, and there's an independent panel that is reviewing every single one of those charges under great scrutiny. Mm. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see the outcomes of this. And if they are if they are found guilty, would it in any way water down what they were able to do this season yes okay my view is that you can have all the money in the world right chelsea bought half of the world (laughs) (laughs) they're still on the bottom half of the league you know 12th place never costs so much you know with with so much money so what i'm saying is uh, if you look at what city has done with that squad I don't think anyone that loves football will say, you know what, it, it, they bought their way in. You know what I'm saying? I think Pep has built something that is very, very formidable. Okay, but the argument isn't about if Manchester City offended financial fair play regulations this season. It's over the course of a long period of time. And very clearly what Manchester City have built is not from a normal football club's growth. It was mm-hmm. the owners came in, invested money into the club. Yeah. Massive amount. The early years, we forget that Robinho's came in yeah. thinking that they were signing yeah. for Chelsea, not even knowing they were signing for Manchester City mm. for mega, mega money that other clubs just simply couldn't afford the wages at the time. They changed football in the early stages of the ownership. Yeah, I was actually going to ask if they are responsible for tipping the scales of what we're seeing in transfer market right now. Not alone. They're not solely responsible. I mean, you look at PSG, which is actually this. They joined later, though. Yeah, PSG. yeah. But you, you can see it in in football around the world where Foot- it started happening. But Roman Abramovich is surely responsible long before Manchester City. When Mikhail well. Balak came into a Chelsea side that wasn't uh, very very financially mm. strong before that. So Roman Abramovich is definitely responsible before Manchester City. And, and where's Chelsea's evaluation? Okay, it was before financial fair play regulations came into play, so you don't have any laws to hold Chelsea by. But is that fair to Manchester City now, who come in and do the same thing as Chelsea just a few years later? But again, what was the law? What's ah. ethical and fair? Mm. Manchester okay. City were aware of the laws when they came into play. So if they broke the laws, they broke the laws. So in essence... To your point, uh, Super Sub. Yeah. Money cannot necessarily buy you success in football. No, it cannot, but it influence. It, it has some certain influence, obviously. You know, we can see that. But what I'm saying is it can either bring you success or it cannot. Like, it can go either way, basically. We have seen teams that had money and could, they couldn't achieve anything. And like we don't one? have to go far. Chelsea, they didn't achieve anything. They've spent no, no, but I think... You mean overall? Yes, I was going to say that Chelsea... Football that, is commercialized. Football is commercialized. You, you cannot run a football club without money. I agree, right? But surely at some point, like with 
FFP coming into play, mm. uh, surely at some point there should be there should be a ceiling so that the little guys can also come to the party. Because now what's going to happen, literally... It's a little too late. Luton Town is just visiting the Premier League and they're going to go down again. Most likely. It's, it's a little bit too late. Like Marco was saying, like teams like Real Madrid, they've had the success and they've got the means and they, can, they make big profits and they can buy whoever they want. And small clubs now, how do, how do, how do you elevate those small clubs, per se, in inverted commerce small clubs, how do you elevate them up there to your Real Madrid, to your Barcelona, to your Man United? Then where's competition then? Well, I think there's two things that I want to bring up. Earlier you said that uh, spending can bring you either success or not success. It's one of those things where uh, I like to equate it to entrepreneurship, Mm. for example, is that you won't be successful if you don't work hard. Yeah. Even if you work hard, you might not be successful. So there's no guarantee to success, Mm. but there is a guarantee to failure. And the guarantee to failure in football, especially in England, is by not spending, by not investing. Mm. And you're guaranteed to fail. If you don't invest in your club, if you don't invest in your team, like I think Tottenham lack a bit of investment in their squad. So that's the guarantees. There's guaranteed failure if you don't invest in the squad. But the guarantee to success, no such thing. There's no guarantee to success. You can spend all the money you want and not necessarily be successful. Look at but United. Yes. In the past five years. They've, they've spent, spent more than anyone else. Like, well, they've spent more than Manchester City. To be fair, they to also made a lot of money selling players. Yeah, no, but obviously we're talking about the injection into the yeah. club. Did they get any return in terms of trophies? No. Are they playing in the final? <laughs> they also have a Carabao Cup. Hey, man. <laughs> People came for me when I said Carabao is plastic. So I'm giving it its worth. Yeah, no, it's for sure. It's a car. Right? So it's, you also see... And Europa as well. Maybe I should take that back, but... It depends. Europa is only important if your team is playing in it. So but, Liverpool fans are going to ready themselves for Thursday. But in saying that, actually, bringing up the Man United factor, Man United didn't invest in January. Okay, besides the five million pounds loan fee for Wout Weghorst, you know, in January. <laughs> How many goals has he scored again, Marco? <laughs> not, not, not even any on purpose, I wouldn't say. I think every goal he scored he is probably by mistake. He does not have a Premier League goal, does he? <laughs> None. I think he scored in a cup. I don't think he scored a goal. He scored yeah, in Carabao, yeah. I think two goals. Oh, man. So, but, and Manchester United... I know at the end of the season, it's easy to forget. But Manchester United weren't that far away from Manchester City and Arsenal at a stage. They were sort of hot yeah, on their tails. It could have yes. been a couple of results that flipped it. Yeah. And had Manchester United invested in January, could they have been part of the title push? Perhaps. So that's why I'm saying is that the, if Manchester United don't go and spend money now in this summer window, yeah. they will fail. And they will not make top four again. And they will not compete in the cup competitions. Even though they've got a squad currently who finished in the top four and competed in cup competitions, if they do not go and invest now, you're guaranteed to see them regress instead of progress. You reckon? Because the clubs around them are going to invest and be better next Mm. season, whereas they will be stagnant. So on on that same note, um, and it's it's such a weird concept because now it's like literally... um, I'm getting my head is about to blow up. Chelsea spent. 
again, there's no guarantee to success, <laughs> mm-hmm. only the guarantee to failure. So Chelsea spent doing what they needed to ensure that they're not guaranteed failure, but it didn't guarantee them success. Failure came along anyway. But I think they invested in some good quality players and they've got a really top coach coming in. Who, For me, if you're giving me predictions now ahead of next season already, Chelsea top four. Hmm. That's, a, that's a big one. Oh, that's a big one. I think Chelsea top four. Back they, in okay, it. Which spot are they going to take? Newcastle spot? Possibly. Or Man United. Or Man Arsenal. United, Arsenal. Or City. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> not taking never. a spot from them. Nah, it's you not going to happen. You reckon, you reckon this trajectory of City is like literally going to continue? Uh, for, I was saying for, it. For, yeah. Sorry. I was saying earlier, uh, I was talking to a friend, that I think even if Pep leaves, he has, he has built something that can sustain City for another two or three seasons. The structures are there. You know what I'm saying? So you say you were speaking to a friend and he reckons that the... Uh, it was me, actually. I think if Pep leaves, yeah. City could still have another two, three good seasons. You know what the interesting thing with that is? Yeah. History has taught us that that might not necessarily be the case. Remember what happened when, say, Alex Ferguson left? Mm. Yeah. Remember what happened when Arsene Wenger left? I think these are the lessons that anyone incoming needs to learn from is that, you know, David Moyes came into Manchester United and changed the entire backroom staff. Except the jacuzzis. Except the jacuzzis. (laughs) And that was the problem. If Pep leaves, upgrade the jacuzzis. Yeah. But I think that, I think that there's only the lowest position that Manchester City can finish in the Premier League next season is second. It's lowest. Someone might pip them to a title, maybe, but they're not going to not push all the way. Unless the only way I see Manchester City not finishing top four next season is financial fair play. The only people that can keep them from being in the top four or even the top two, I'll be bold enough to say the only thing, the boardroom is the only place keeping Manchester City out the top two. You reckon Man City is that good and they will remain that good for a season or two? Like you literally saying next season give City one or two and then the rest can fight it amongst themselves. How good was Manchester United their treble winning year? How good were they the following year and the following year? And you don't get that good and disappear. That's what I'm saying. So key personnel. Um yep. my suspicion is that LK Gundwan is gonna go. I think he's been singing I want to go for quite some time. Yeah. Uh I've heard rumors about Bernardo Silva. Yeah, Bernardo has been wanting to go to Barca for a while, but he was convinced to stay uh, the last season, you know? Yeah, they was convinced by, to stay by Barcelona's accountants who can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> Can they now? Because they also want Messi. No, you know? they can't afford anyone. And also, going to the money conversation again, um, when Barca was going through the pits financially, mm. that translated to how they played on the field. They were, they were, they were, they were, they were rubbish. No, yeah. they were just buying anything that was out there to, to be bought. Including Memphis, they buy. Yeah. Memphis, they <laughs> Who's the big guy who plays for Wolves? Oh, uh, yeah, Adama Traore. Uh, Traore I quite like him, though. No, he's on, a, on, a, on his day, he's good, but you Barcelona, look at him, yeah. is he not, he's not Barcelona material because yeah. when you speak about Barcelona, some, some players that have worn that jersey... Yeah. He's more know. physical than flair, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, and, but bit. even then, it's like the physicality doesn't show up 
regularly enough mm. for him to be Barcelona level. Not saying he's not a Premier League level player. I'm not saying that he couldn't be a squad player in another good Premier League side, but a Barcelona player. Exactly. It's like the 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 Veghorst conversation we had <laughs> exactly. earlier on. He's not a Man United player. He's not even a Burnley player. <laughs> yeah. and he should have been. In the you were making an interesting point with uh, key personnel at uh, City. I think before we. Oh yes, Marco or me? You were. You were saying. Oh yes, um, City key personnel. Yeah. It's. They leave then. Yeah. Is that team still gonna be the same? I'll I'll ask you this question. When you remember how David Silva was instrumental in that City team. When he left, we thought, geez, what's going to happen? And then players like Bernardo Silva just r- rose up their hands. Uh, Foden came through, you know, yeah. and you look at Aguero leaving. We thought, hey, what's going to happen? We went a season without a number nine and we won the league, you know. So I don't think, I think the structure at City, just anyone that comes in that team, they tend to, to perform because of the structure. That's why you, you see a player like Sterling. He left, and then on the other side, he's not doing as great as he was within within City. You know what I'm saying? So I think players come and go, but I think Pep has got a formula that works. Cancelo left. Everybody thought, hey, it's going to be big problems there at the back, but swapped around the players and got the results, and then the defense was good. I think on your Sterling points, I think De Bruyne and Haaland can go to Chelsea and they'll still struggle there. It's been a <laughs> poor season for them. No, I think, no, I think it's, it's unfair. You know, I think he went to a team where, well, there's basically no structure right now. Yeah, but then David Silva, like you said, instrumental key player replaced by another Silva. Yeah. Silva, Silva, they don't look that different. You'd be forgiven mm. for confusing them if you stopped watching for four years and you came yeah. back. It's like, oh, it's still the Silva guy. Looks mm. the same. You know, it's uh, it was a direct swap and... I think yeah, Manchester City's the the system behind the scenes mm. that we don't see is instrumental to their success. So is that then what pretty much separates them from one would assume having watched all or nothing that Arsenal also has structures in the back. Spurs look like they've got structures in the back. I think that Spurs have a, a the same issue that Chelsea have in many ways is that they have like a man who has ultimate power like a Daniel Levy yeah. who's not prepared or the board's not prepared or collectively they're not prepared to invest in the squad. And like I said, that's the only guarantee to failure is the lack of investment. I think Arsenal have shown you very clearly and directly how much improvement there is when you improve the structure. The is the improvement in Arsenal down to the arrival of Gabriel Jesus or is it down to the arrival of someone like Edu who's changed the structure behind the scenes of that club in terms of scouting and acquiring talent and things like that? Look at the improvements across the board because you can't say Gabriel Jesus was the critical signing to Arsenal because he was injured off the season and they actually played very well without him there. But Martin Odegaard. Uh, you you see across the Saliba. field, and you see how poor the the signings were before Edu came in place. Like um, the Ivorian that they've signed on the right wing, his name um, slips. What's his name? He went to France, and uh, he's still Arsenal's most expensive ever signing. Am I wrong? His name, man. Yeah, I forgot his name. The winger. He, I remember him. Yeah. Yes, the name doesn't want to come to me now. There's just a P on my lips. I don't know what it is. So 
in essence, then the problem for a Chelsea, for a Man United, is then down to the Glazers. It's down to Todd Boyley. Hundred percent. That's. I think. I think we're not being fair to Todd Boyley. He came into a club in crisis, brought in a manager, gave him a chance, brought in what was perceived as a quality manager in Graham Potter, brought, who was doing wonderful things at Brighton, mm. and brought him in, perceived as a quality manager, gave him a chance, gave him time, didn't work, brought in the man who saved Everton from rele- relegation, Frank Lampard, hands down, stand alone. You almost took them there. Uh, but i think that's you can't it's not fair to judge todd bowley now immediately and i think man united the glazers but he went but he went into a team that was already functioning if chelsea last season still under the ownership of uh, roman abramovich before he was forced to sell chelsea were they were a solid top four team Absolutely. Yeah, they were no. one of the best teams in England. No they doubt. finished third last season. Yeah. And insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results because the whole thing of taking coaches from so-called small teams and bringing them to teams that are top four teams has also showed us that that formula doesn't necessarily work. Remember, yeah. we saw it with Man United when they hired Moyes. Yeah. Moyes. Moyes yeah. um, who else? When mm. Arsenal went to get Unai Emery. Yeah, I mean, but uh, we saw Leicester's most recent outgoing manager, um, top Brandon. manager, Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers. He was very successful at Liverpool. He made Liverpool play good football. So sometimes it works out. Yeah. Because he came from what? Swansea City. Yeah, because he, 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 he made a beautiful Swansea City side make play beautiful football. He almost won the league with Liverpool. What did they call them? Swansea yeah. At the time, you know, they, they looked like Barcelona, that Swansea side yeah. under Brendan Rodgers. And then he went on to Liverpool and that Suarez combination with... Uh, Sterling, Sterling and, and Sturridge. And, and Daniel Sturridge. Sturridge. Yeah, yeah was, was lethal. And they played beautiful football and they were on the cusp until Gerard went for a slip. But, that yeah, was, it, that I was think, incredible. <laughs> I think that the, the structures behind the scenes of a club make a very, very big difference. Yeah. It's, it's something that we don't see and we can't quantify. But maybe Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't all that wrong complaining about the jacuzzi. The jacuzzi. I think, yeah, I think he was right. I think he just went the wrong way about it. Yeah, horrible way. Horrible. Just before World Cup. Hey, man. Well, he was probably setting himself up to go to where he is now. Apparently, he's a top goal scorer. Is he? They uh, came he second. Came in, he came. He came in. He he's not the top goal scorer. He's the top goal scorer since January. I think he's two goals behind. Yeah, I see. No, those are stats that are made up to make him look good. He's good, but you know when no, it's that, but I think but he's, he's, no. But you're on. saying that he's two goals behind the top goal scorer for the season, and he arrived halfway through the yes. season. Oh no, then so his stats are. His stats are ridiculous in that league. Yeah, no, but, that's crazy. But he's, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. His stats are ridiculous everywhere. Well, so if granted, we call if we call this other leagues from us, what is that league? <laughs> <laughs> because that's 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 insane. It's like together a league. It's not even a farmers. You league. arrive midway in a season, you end up two goals behind the top goal scorer. Yeah. It's like oh, something similar actually happened in South Africa. So, <laughs> what was his name? There's a player who uh, he played uh, for half a season. Christopher Katongo. 
Was it Katongo? Yeah, it was Christopher Katongo. He played half of the season for Cosmos and then he went... He, he, went, he was bought by an overseas club. Yeah. At the end of the season, he was still the top goal scorer in the PSL. With 14 goals. <laughs> <laughs> so these things, these things, these things do happen. But going back to the structure conversation, um, I wanted to ask about um, Borussia Dortmund. Because they don't look like a fancy team that buys all these superstar players. Everybody just comes to them and buys whatever superstar players that they produce. And they look like they are okay playing second fiddle to Bayern every season. In that regard, as a fan of a club like that, are you, yes, some decisions are not yours, but are you content to like, ah, we've seen this movie before. It's fine, we'll finish second and play Champions League. I think it's it's hard to say because obviously the, the climate in Ger- Germany is that fans from every club are well aware Bayern Munich is unmatchable in terms of financial power, they're unmatchable in terms of the level of the the behind the scenes, the facilities, the playing staff, the, every single element. Bayern Munich is way ahead of everyone else and Borussia Dortmund is way ahead of the rest of the pack. And I think a lot of Dortmund fans see that, is that you see Dortmund now shopping at Eintracht Frankfurt for yeah. their very best players. Yeah. You know, you see them shopping around the rest of the Bundesliga and they're shopping around the youth shops of England where the players aren't given a chance to break into the first team. And they're taking players like Jude Bellingham to Germany where they can become a priority and build their career. And you've seen the success that that brought with Jadon Sancho, Sancho. Jude, and Jude Bellingham. They built incredible Hunt. players. So I think that Dortmund is a difficult team to discuss with that, you know, by that ruler. You can't discuss them in that way because Bayern Munich is so far ahead the rest of the league that as a Dortmund fan, you're seeing yourself pick up the best talent from the rest of the German league, mm. pick up some of the best young talent from like England and develop a squad and the, and the squad plays better football every year. You know, no, you're not happy with finishing second every year to Bayern Munich. You can't be. But at the end of the day, the reality is set in stone. You know, so you can't, it's not like you're going and fighting with the chairman and you're saying fire the coach and fire the playing staff and whatever because they're overperforming relative to who they are already. And when you think they're closing that gap, Bayern just stretches it even further. You know, remember the... Club era, you yeah. would think, you know, they're really, really pushing uh, Bayern, you know, and then the next season, Bayern just comes, win the league until, yeah, even. And yeah. Yeah. We're going to season. take your very best striker. We're going. Robert Lewandowski was in that Dortmund yeah. side that won the Bundesliga. Mario Götze was there as well, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Mario yeah. Götze. Mario Götze, Matt Hamels went to Bayern yeah. and came uh, back, I think, to Dortmund afterwards. Yeah. Dortmund. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like they shop from Dortmund and they take the very best players and they become... They yeah. become the kings also, of Germany. I, mean, I think Dortmund was also very silly to to allow that to happen. You know, I mean, if I am chasing you, I'm just saying, like, if I can't I, remember the contractual situations of those players. You know, I mean, why sorry. would you sell to that to, to, to your opposition? So, you know? it, it, so the the Bayern, I mean, the Borussia Dortmund model is it's as if like they don't mind selling their best players because that's how they part of sustaining the club. Mm. Yeah. yeah no. So you come, you buy. It's cool. It's fine. We'll go to the US. We'll go to the Premier League. We'll go. We'll go. Fine. We'll, we've got a way of getting that production line. Like it keeps moving. Like it's fine. We can lose 
Haaland. We'll find somebody. Mm. We can lose Jude. We'll find and somebody. Because now he's being rumored to be going to Real Madrid, apparently. Mm. Yeah. They'll get big bucks. They will, they will get big bucks and they will find another Jude. Yeah, I mean, in that case, you know, it's going to be difficult for them to, to catch on with uh, Bayern, you know. If you're going to let go of every talent that you have, you know, at some point you're going to have to pull that handbrake and say, hey, hold on, you know, let's build up, let's build, let's have a plan for five years. Let's have a squad that can sustain us for like five years. And that's the only way that you can try and challenge Bayern. If you're going to have a dude that comes, play one season, two seasons, and then goes, I mean, you're not building, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're currently like a recycling depot yes they're recycling the talent and it's like mm. okay so the new recycled product mm. in with the next one and uh Bayern Munich are the Mercedes-Benz factory just mm. oh yeah bringing out oh, yeah. top class oh, yeah. spending all the biggest money whatever and that's that's the difference between the two for sure is the model the same almost similar actually in this country here where yeah. the, the whole notion of a team that's going to dominate until whenever we are old and gray with what's happening with sundowns now, because their assumption is, and I'm saying assumption because I haven't seen their pay slips, you get paid more as a sundowns player. And because they're winning games and winning titles and playing in CAF and all of that, the assumption is that every talent in this country desire is to play for sundowns, and sundowns have the money to buy them. Yeah, look, it's going to be difficult for other teams to 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 compete you know but i think in south africa we're still a little bit lucky because we have case chiefs and orlando pirates we have case chiefs and no, don't get it twisted <laughs> chiefs has got their pockets are deep oh no 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 money wise yes but i was talking about we're not talking about money well a bit of money translation to success yeah but what i'm saying is not everybody will uh, aspire to join a mamelodi sundance these players that are really, really good that aspire to join Orlando Pirates or Kaiser Chiefs. So in in that sense, I, I don't think Sundance is gonna I think that yeah, era is gonna come. I think South Africa is a different conversation to Germany. Mm. It's maybe a little closer to the English game where it's like Kaiser Chiefs is maybe a bit of a Manchester United where they're not very successful at the moment, but they're the biggest franchise yeah. in the country. Mm. And it's like you have to expect them to come back at some point. Mm. Whereas in Germany, there's no fra- there's one franchise. That's it. There's one. We we just know who Dortmund are. We know Volkswagen, but yeah. they're not. And also in South Africa, you can throw in Marco. Sorry to cut you. You can yeah. also throw in a Super Sport. Who Super Sport? Yeah, they spend on their players. Cape Town City also not bad. Not bad. So there's a lot of like clubs with financial muscles in in this country. You know? Yeah. So, so ours is not a farmers league, ne? Nah, it's not. It's not a farm. <laughs> Sundowns have won it six times in a row. Is it not farm? No, man. I'm just asking. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a farmer's leg. <laughs> okay, no. If you're gonna put it that way, it's fine. Um, we we're almost about to wrap up. Um, any interesting transfer news that you picked up on? Ah, not much. It's not something that like right now. There's still like relegation going on and whatnot. I haven't really checked much on transfers except for the big ones like Jude Bellingham, you know. Um, yeah, I haven't really seen much, you know. What move do you think, what do you think is going to be the biggest move in this coming window? Jude Bellingham to Real Madrid. That, that's it. Unless, unless actually, and, and I apologize for that because Jude Bellingham to Real Madrid for the whole world international audience 
actually isn't the biggest move of this. It's going to be the best transfer of the window. Okay. Yeah? But I think the biggest transfer of the window is going to be actually Harry Kane to Manchester United just okay. because of the size of the two players' profiles. Harry mm-hmm. Kane, greatest goal scorer in Premier League history, soon to be. And, uh, then, and then he's going to the biggest club in the world, mm. the biggest franchise, the most supported club in the planet. So I think that's going to be the big name transfer. I think Harry Kane will go to Manchester United. Because this window. The, the, there isn't any, like, and I know the window has not kind of opened, but yeah, it's open. No, it's not really open. Yeah. But there isn't, there isn't a buzz around, like, outside of Jude, outside of Harry Kane going to Man United, maybe Declan Rice. Mm. Uh, here and there I heard... Messi going back to Barca. Messi maybe going back to Barca. Mount, Mason Mount pop, possibly there's, to United. I heard something like that. There's Neymar might be going to Newcastle. It's just rumors. Yeah, but there isn't like, like you know the Jude transfer, the, the Haaland transfer we knew, like we were waiting for. I'm not getting that vibe with this window. Yeah, I think Jude Bellingham to Real Madrid gives that vibe in Spain. I think if you if you follow La Liga more closely, whatever, I think there's a lot of buzz around that, especially because Real Madrid need to replace the aging midfield of Tony Cruz and Luka Modric. So I think there's a lot of excitement around him and partnering with Camavinga in the future, the two of them as holding midfielders in mm. that Real Madrid side. Uh, well, as holding as Camavinga and Jude Bellingham can be. Jude Bellingham seems to be one of those box-to-box yeah. uh, defensive midfielders who's going to be in the opposition box as well. So I think there's a lot of excitement in Spain around the partnership of Camavinga and Jude Bellingham. And I'm, I mean, why not? Why not be excited about that? What, what a pair. They could be for 10 years. They could, be, they could dominate world football, that pair in midfield. So I think that's the most exciting prospect. I think Manchester United are actually a scary prospect with the most clean sheets in the league. And let's not put it down to De Gea. He won the award, but we know he's not the reason why he won that award. The reason why he the won defenders. that is the combination of Lissandra Martinez and Rafael Varane. And the rumors have it that uh, the South Korean centre-back for Napoli, who's been a phenom this season, Kim, mm. I forget his name, he's on Manchester United's wish list as well. So they want to bring in another world-class centre-back and then Maguire's probably going to see the door. You know, So if you see Manchester United, if they do decide they're going to go in for Declan Rice... They're going to go in for Harry Kane and they're going to get a new centre-back. That's a whole new spine to a team that's not performed badly. Two cup finals, mm. one cup, third place. Not a bad season for a pretty good Man United side that can defend, that have Casemiro, that have Christian Eriksen, that have Marcus Rashford, that have Bruno Fernandes. It's a pretty good squad that you see there. And if you're adding 30 goals from Harry Kane in the Premier League alone, because Man United's current top goal scorer is Marcus Rashford with 30 goals across all competitions, competitions yeah. of which Manchester United played more games than anyone else this season in all of Europe's top five leagues because of their commitments to all of the cup competitions and as far as they went in the Europa League. So I think that Manchester United, if, if they do go and outline that this is, this is how committed we are to winning a league title and they put those three down the middle and they buy Declan Rice, Harry Kane and a world-class centre-back, like how can Man United fans not get excited about the idea of that? Well, the idea sounds 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 potent. Sounds potent. Um, quick one from you and Marco uh, Super Sub. What was your favorite moment of the season that just concluded? Well, it's going to conclude with the FA Cup and the Champions League in the weeks that are coming. Your favorite moment? Football moment. Yes. 
it has to be uh, Manchester City beating Real Madrid, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. That that, that that was just a masterclass. I mean, anyone that loves football, never mind your affiliation, that was a beautiful half, first half of football, you know. So you're talking about the second leg, not the first one, I guess. Because the first one was a draw. The first one was a draw. Wait, yeah. one one draw, and then the second mm. leg. Was the second, the, I'm talking about the second the leg. The demolition of Real Madrid. Mm. You know, I don't think many people would have written that script. You know, prior to the game, and yeah, I think for me, yeah, that's a moment of the season. And for you, Marco. I have a season of lows. No, I can't even think <laughs> of a single high. Uh, you know, fresh in the memory, I'm very happy for Sean Dykes. He's uh, Sean Dykes. I was You're mentioning, a huge fan of and Sean I'm a big, and I said it. As he arrived, and I said, I'm a big fan of Sean Dyke. Yeah. And I said that Burnley would have survived if they didn't get rid of him. Mm. And they went down, okay, yes, they've come straight back up. Uh. And the Vincent Company, who's done a fantastic job. And he saved that Everton that looked like they were wearing slippers on a glass mountain. You know, they were just slipping, free-falling, like you couldn't believe, under Frank Lampard. Sean Dykes came in, and Everton looked a different monster. So congratulations to him and Everton on surviving. Sam Allardyce... Magic's not going to do you any good when you've got four games left in the season yeah, and, and two of those games are Manchester City and Newcastle and, and Leicester just disappeared. I think that's the biggest upset. You know, I mean, if you look at last season, I mean, they finished, I think, eighth. Uh, Leicester's finished eighth last you know, season. No, the other, yeah. like Leeds and um, Southampton, they were down there, you know, the yeah. previous season. It, the, I think the, the writing was on the wall, you know, but for Leicester... Talk about falling from the grace, eh? Apparently, was it... I don't know if it was Marco who said this or I heard it somewhere. Apparently, that is the most expensive relegation to have happened in English football in recent years. I didn't know that, so it's not from me. So it's not from Marco. Given the size of the club, the investment... I mean, the the, the players that they have, because those guys are going to go from about £80,000 a week to... 20 because yeah, some the championship doesn't pay the same as the Premier League. Yeah, and I wonder how many of those, because I mean, they wouldn't have think that Leicester will be relegated. I wonder how many of those actually have like release clause should the club get relegated. Because few of Leeds United players have, have that clause in their, in, the, in, the, in, their, in their contracts. So Theo Walcott <laughs> is going to play in the championship on a rainy Tuesday in Stoke. Shame. Well, Leicester City's Yuri uh, Tillemans was already, I think, in the last year of his contract anyway. So, oh, yeah, Madison as well. He, was, gone. he yeah. was on Arsenal's radar, I think. Already. And then, so him and Madison will definitely be gone mm. by the end of this window. There's no way they're going to be able to hold on to the quality players like them. Um, and then there's uh, Soyun, Soyunchu, Soyunku. Soyunku. That's, what, that's how you say it. I'm yeah. struggling with names today. I'm sorry, everyone. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, there's some quality in that side that's gonna be shopped around for. So I suppose in that regard, if you're uh, uh, Sheffield United or if you're Burnley. Burnley or if you are Luton, that's where you go shop. Mm. Well, the, first of all, they have to shop because I watched that uh, Coventry City versus Luton, the Luton, Luton. Uh, League Cup. Uh, the championship playoff final. Yeah, the final, yes. And, uh, you know, I don't like to criticize players who work hard and give everything and they looked exhausted by the end of it. After what, a uh, 48-game season or something? Yeah. 46 yes. games. How, how many games is there in the championship? So you play that many games and then you play 120 minutes of football before penalties. It takes a toll. 
It takes a toll. Mm. But the quality was poor. I don't like to criticize players who've worked that hard and to see them working hard and trying so hard is something. But, and and I'm sure they're very good for championship level, but Premier League, that, we can, that lack of quality is going to show we can because argue, they looked poor. We can argue playing at Luton Town on a small stadium that has a capacity of maybe 5,000 is different from playing at Wembley. It is very different, but the Premier League is going to be very different for them the way they're playing. Ball control, small things, ball control, balls hoofed up in the air. You need to bring it down onto the floor. Yeah. It's not bouncing three times a meter ahead First of touch you. Needs to First be touch you. needs to be world-class. The passing needs to be world-class. The vision needs to be world-class. The movement needs to be world-class to stay in that league. Ask Leicester. They weren't world-class and they went under. Ask Southampton. Those are better sides than Luton and Coventry. Luton as well. You know, they had to... Better, all better sides. For me, yeah. having watched this season, all of the Premier League sides that went down, Leeds, Southampton, and Leicester. Uh, Leicester, all three of them are better sides than that Luton and Coventry combination. So they have to, surely, they know they have to spend to mm. stay in the Premier League. They're going to have season. to spend in all departments. All departments. They're going to have to spend big. And uh, I worry for Luton because I don't think they can. But I'm also I'm, I'm marginally happy for them. I think it's exciting for a lot of fans to see a ground like that in the Premier League mm. where there's, I think I, think I saw a, a drone photo of the stadium and right next to the stadium is, is people's houses and there's like an empty bathtub in someone's backyard. <laughs> and it is scrappy. Maybe so it's the not- jacuzzi for the <laughs> You see, that's that's where the romance come in, you know, when teams like that achieve such, you know, after so many years. But the romance is going to end because if those are the facilities that you have, going back to what we were saying earlier on, yeah, you, you you're not gonna you're not gonna survive against an Arsenal or a Man City team that has three dietitians in the club. Yeah, uh, so I would have preferred to see. I think I would have preferred to see a Coventry come up over Luton when you look at the League Cup final alone yeah. because I think they might have had the means to stay in the Premier League more. Mm-hmm. Um, Sunderland, for example, who were also in the playoffs, mm-hmm. they would have definitely had the means to mm-hmm. sort of stay in the They've Premier been League there and compete. Before, you know? yeah. Middlesbrough yes. was the other team. So these are the four teams. Out of the four teams who were in the playoff positions, Luton's the one that you sort of expect to fall the quickest, but give them their day. They won it. They won it on penalties in the final and you can't be upset when the team that finished third comes through the playoff process. Well done to you. You finished third. You maybe deserve the third spot in the promotion mm. playoffs. You know, if maybe the other clubs who, who might complain that they didn't make it all the way through the playoff process, finish second next time. Yeah, I feel for them, but fairy tale story. Nonetheless, that's also my, well, that's my moment of, of the season, seeing mm. Luton Town come from where they come from to, they literally in in dreamland right now. Yeah, I don't want to mispronounce another name, but with one player who's gone from non-league football all the way to the Premier League with Luton. Oh yes, yes, mm. yes, I saw him. First the black, time the black ever. guy, yeah. What's his name? I flipping forgot. Man. I won't try to pronounce. We forgot names today. <laughs> I've, I've been so bad with names today. I won't we try to pronounce. They're gonna it. say you need a fact but checker. I, but I tell you what, guys, you Google it. It's Ballers. 
Google it. No, yeah, the bowlers will Google it and you'll put it on the on the comments down there. And I saw an interesting young player uh, for Southampton. I think he came on on the uh, forward pros on the, I think 87th minute. Lamina, uh, Samuel Amos uh, something. Yes, yes. I think there's. I think an, apparently 16 years old. I think there's a player there. He's another one who I think is not going to stay at, uh, at the Saints. Well, that's Lamino. Is it Lamino who's had such a great season with them, and he's 19 years old or 20 years old? Is a really yeah, top players talent. like those you need to release he, them. You, you know? need to give him his chance. No, no, no. With 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 a player like that, you can you can go down with him. It's fine in the prospect of coming back up, mm. because this is when if you if you go play in the championship, you almost like you get rid of the oldies, the word prowses of this world, the mm. few wild cards, because you also like. Yeah, you are freeing up the budget there because the mm. eighty thousand you're not gonna have it when you're playing down there. So this is when you go, you get your nineteen year old, your twenty year old, give him a contract, give him fifteen thousand pounds a week. You could. Yeah. Yeah. Don't okay. be like Sunderland and get relegated again because of wages going to uh X Men City players like Gardner and yeah, you know, like where Sunderland went down and down and down again, you know, but they were eventually playing in League One, so hey. not good enough for a team like Sunderland, who nearly came up almost with Aloni. Their best player in the Championship was Aloni from Manchester United, Ahmad Diallo. So I don't know. I I said at the beginning I don't have many highlights for the season, but I think I mentioned enough, and I don't need to mention the low lights of a seven 0 from Liverpool and Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, I won't mention. The bottling. You don't have any lows. Yeah, man. We're uh, just waiting for next week. And big up to you, Saturday. man. What a good finish of the season, eh? We left the goals for too late. Yeah, look, when there's no pressure, you do well. <laughs> hey, you, you can't criticize a young squad for that. Right? <laughs> when there's no pressure, you do well. It's typical of a young side. Yeah. Right? But if you look at it, um, remember it was a conversation I was, I was having with you on Twitter the other day that for the level of good that Manchester City is this season for Arsenal to be the team that comes they're just five points away right yeah mm. to come that close unbelievable achievement they've done well we've said that maybe the Premier League should have a second place trophy maybe. <laughs> and who knows maybe City because will be of City so powerful at the moment maybe City will get points docked and then you can be the champions eh? maybe Nah, Maybe we'll, we'll win it through the boardroom. We, we, <laughs> that's not how we. That's not how we want to win. That's not how we know we want to win. No, nah, I'm just kidding, man. But gentlemen, thank you very much. That was a very insightful episode of Onsite today. Yeah, breaking down ownership, money, sponsorship, what what. So those are the conversations that we're going to start having now because it's 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 footballers. Yeah, we, footballers have down their tools. Yeah, we're going to have mm. to get people that really knows about other stuff because we can't know everything, you know. Which leagues are still on in this period? I think most of them are done. Yeah, most yeah, of them are done. done. The only thing I think that's left is the FA Cup and the Champions, and the Champions League. League. The Champions League. Mm. But I don't know, we're going to be watching football in Brazil or something just to keep us going. Oh, yeah, there's also Brazil. We can watch things. And hey, there's a World Cup, eh? Banyan, um, Women oh, there's a Women's uh, World Cup. But it's starting when... The leagues also start, so that will have the conversation ah, yeah, yeah, closer yeah. to the time when the squads are announced. No, I'm thinking it's starting the same time as the the, the men's uh, World Cup, which is like beginning of June or no, something. No, no, sometime in August, I think. The sure. women's we do World need Cup. that fact checker. Sorry, guys. Yeah, no, we do need that fact checker. <laughs> no, I know the women's World Cup is in August. 
Okay, fake yes. checker. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, we're now super sub. Thank you very much for joining us on Onside. Danko, danko. And congratulations again to Orlando Pirates. Yeah, man. Uh, City have already congratulated you. Just waiting for Saturday and I can deal with Marco. <laughs> oh, snap, there's still FA Cup. And there's still... Oh, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see Saturday. Yeah. Marco, good luck for Saturday. Thank you. Um, we need it. Thank can you. you please, can you please help us fix the world? A little bit. Just, just help do us you fix think, the world. You, do you think, do you think United beating Man City is fixing the world? Yes, it's corrupting the world, my <laughs> man. You know these people. Oh. It fixes the world for Manchester United fans. The first Manchester derby yeah. in an FA Cup final. Liverpool Arnold. fans won't, won't agree with you on that one. Hey, those ones must just prepare themselves for Thursday. I don't think that a Man United player needs any more motivation to keep the treble sacred because it's all we have left. Yeah. It's all we can talk about. Yeah. We have nothing else. Please, guys, please. That's why we always have fingers crossed when there's like 35 games in and you've got a Liverpool or a Man City going at it without losing a game. You're like, just, yes. can they just lose one? That's our please. thing. That's yeah. our thing. <laughs> Now it's gonna be a while until such is broken, eh? Now it's it's very difficult. Yeah, it's it's especially in modern day difficult. football, you know. But look, a treble is nearly impossible. Invincible season, nearly impossible. Mm. But only a team as good as City can, can do yeah. one. I agree with you there. Well, they two games away. We'll chat next week. Yeah, we'll <laughs> chat next week. <laughs> enjoy the FA Cup. Enjoy the Motepe Foundation playoffs. Um, I see. Um, 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 Cape Town Spurs have drawn, drawn, have drawn yeah. first blood. Yeah, yeah. So they just, if they can just win two games, or they're two, safe. Yeah, they should be. They should be coming up. Yeah. So good luck to them. And um, yeah, stay on side. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs> Tango. Hola.